If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. <coughs> Romans chapter 15. Um, we're, we're finishing all of Romans chapter 15. We have kind of an extended passage today that's going to really just talk about the mission of the church. And, and as we're looking at the mission of the church, I, I wanted to um, just say something off the front. I've been hesitating to, to post something or whatever, um, but I just, I think that before we talk about the mission of the church, we need to be clear that as the church moving forward in a culture, we should unequivocally denounce what's happening with the alt-right and stuff that's happening in Charlottesville and all over. Because there's no gospel in saying that some people are worth more, that some people are su- supreme. And, and if you look at that and you call yourself a Christian and you're not saddened or discouraged by that, then I suggest you go back and look at the gospel. Because there is not one person, there's not one ethnicity, there's not one race that is any less valuable than everyone else because we all as humans bear the image of God. And if we as Christians don't stand up and denounce that, then we've forgotten the gospel that we claim saved us. And, 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 and I get that we live in kind of an area where we might not experience that, and, but we, by us not experiencing injustice doesn't mean that injustice isn't experienced by other people. And we have to be aware of that, and we have to acknowledge that. And while we're pretty comfortable here, and, and while a lot of us, myself included, have never felt the fear that, that some minorities feel, it doesn't mean that I can't hurt with them and long to be a voice that they so often do not have. And so as we talk about the mission of God, if we're not, if we're not truly centered behind the gospel that every person is created in the image of God, therefore has value and dignity, then we need to stop there and reconsider what we're doing. And so, um, and that's not just saying that, that everyone has fault. I grew up, if we're on it, we'll move on in just a second, but I grew up in a, in a sense of being taught, not necessarily by my parents, just the culture I was in, being taught that, that every race has people that are de- undesirable, right? But, but what I now understand is that a lot of times that's a way for white Americans to say, you know what, there's bad people in everything, and it allows them not to condemn what's happening. Because we can just say, oh, well, there's bad people in everything. Well, no. We flat out say that that racism or anything like that's happening is not gospel. And if you're a Christian and you condone that, then I would say you're not a Christian because you don't understand the gospel. And so if that doesn't shock you or sadden you, then, then reconsider the gospel that Christ came to save you, not while you were desirable, but while you were a rebellious sinner. And if that doesn't filtrate down into every aspect of your light and permeate your being when you, can, when you talk about other people who experience injustice, then you need to rethink what you believe. And as a church, we have to stand against that in every aspect of our lives, public, private, within our neighborhoods, in employment, because that's the gospel, that all people are created with value and dignity. Therefore, no one is superior or inferior They're all either sinners in active rebellion or they're saved by Christ through grace alone. And so as we look at the mission, we need to understand that. And then when we're coming into this passage today, we have to ask ourselves, why did Paul write this letter? 
we're looking at Romans, why did Paul feel the need to write this letter? And I don't know if you've ever considered it that way to think that, that, that what was his motive? That, that it was accomplishing something, but what, what was that? Was, and most people, if you're like me or grew up in there, you think, when you think Romans, you think theology and you think doctrine. Because it does. It had the middle of Romans is, is a challenging depth of doctrine and theology that so many people are divided on, but yet it's such a fulfilling and unifying book at the same time. And so what was he writing for? What was his motive in writing this letter? And I think that question's answered when we read this passage today. And so if you will follow along, I know it's a, a little longer passage than we've been, but we're going verse 14, and then we're going to go all the way through Romans um, 15:33. So we're finishing the chapter. So in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because the grace of God, the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elicrum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told will see him, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered in coming from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they, have ought, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come to in fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that, I, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray as we ask the Spirit to guide us through our time. Father God, we acknowledge that apart from your Spirit working in our hearts, your truth would fall on deaf ears. And we just pray that, that as we open your word, as we look at what you inspired your servant Paul to write, God, that our hearts would be opened, that our lives would be changed as we proclaim your gospel to bring glory to your name. And just pray that today, 
through everything that I say, everything that we declare as a body of Christ would be to bring glory to his name. Amen. And so when you, when you look at it, did you, did you catch, it was, a, it was kind of a switch, right? That, that you see that if you've been with us or if you've read Romans on your own, there's, a, there's kind of a switch all of a sudden. And really, if you look at it, if you're honest, he could have stopped writing in 1513, right? He could have stopped, stopped writing in that verse and it would have been a good conclusion. It's like he almost finished and then he said, oh, wait, well, I got something else. But what I think is happening is that, is that the rest of this chapter in really Romans 16 is really the reason Paul's writing, right? Because he's writing about what his mission is. And so he's teaching them, he's giving them this doctrine and everything, saying, here's who I am, here's what I believe. Now get ready, because when I come through, you're going to help me continue that mission. And I'm going to give you some examples of how other people are helping with that mission. And so this whole passage today is about the mission of the church as we see on display in Paul instructing this church in Rome to get ready permission and also what's happening through his ministry in those regions. So we see that the, the mission of the church is fueled by people, power, possessions, or provisions and prayer. Okay, and, and, and so as we, we get into this, the first thing we need to understand is that if we're going to accomplish our mission as a church here locally of integrating the gospel into life, mission, and worship, we have to be willing to step out of our normal, everyday lives and be changed by the gospel. And that first happens when we realize that mission's fueled by people. Right? The, the, and I, I, when, I, when I wrote that, I was like, well, that's kind of common sense. But I've learned being a teacher that common sense isn't always understood. Right, but, but so often we have moments where we think the church has to be on mission, we have to go, and then we don't think about the people that it takes to accomplish that mission. And so we have to realize that if mission is going to happen, it has to happen with people, or mission cannot happen without people. The reality is for the mission to accomplish the church, to bring glory to his name, to expand his kingdom by preaching his gospel, it takes people. It takes people purposefully moving forward, united in their mission to see fame be brought to his name. And so when we understand that, then we realize, okay, so what does it look like then to be a person that's on mission? How do do we actually go about that idea? And the first is that we need to realize that people on mission are devoted to the gospel. If you look at verse 14 where he started, he said, I myself am satisfied about you. So remember, here's writing to these people, and then he says what? That, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. They're committed, they're devoted to the gospel. Filled with goodness. The one place that we can be filled with the gospel is a continual, daily, constant reminder of the gospel that says that you are an act of rebellion in sin, yet Christ willingly died for you. That's a devotion to the gospel. It's good news. It's evidence that you understand who you are. And not only are we devoted to the gospel as people on mission, but we're also filled with knowledge, right? And, and, and I like this understanding that they're filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And so they're always learning, right? There's not a point to where we can achieve this point where we know everything about Christ, about the gospel. It's constantly growing in our lives, and we're constantly being filled with more and more knowledge that we can't get to that point, but so many times we think, well, if I know this much, then I'm good. And so our Bibles get put on the shelf. 
and we stop seeking the Lord. But we have to be people on mission who are devoted to the gospel and continually being filled with all knowledge, always learning. Don't get complacent in who you are as a Christian. Seek the Lord continually. But we also keep reading and we realize that not only are they devoted to the gospel, filled with all knowledge, but they're encouraging one another in their words and deeds. And you see that with Paul. What does he say? I'm satisfied, right? I'm satisfied in knowing. And, then, and we can, we'll learn next week that he knows some of these people, but he doesn't really know them. He hasn't spent time with them. So what he knows is people that he's known that have gone there or hearing from them. And, and that took time. Remember, this is not when we could just Google something and you get all the information you want to, whether or not it's true or not. We get all the information we want, right? This wasn't that he's satisfied with them. So he's encouraged. And I, and I think about that just, just on the level of Paul being an apostle. Would he be satisfied if he looked at the state of the mission of your life? That, that, that when he sees our church, when he, if he would look upon watershed, would he be satisfied that we ourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another? And if we're people that are on mission and understanding that it takes people to accomplish that mission by being devoted to the gospel and filled with knowledge, we're going to encourage one another. Because living a life devoted to gospel ministry is encouraging to other people. That's one of my favorite things about us being part of the Acts 29 network is because I can have conversations with people who are planting churches worldwide. And it's encouraging to see their devotion to the gospel being filled with knowledge and how that gospel then integrates into other cultures and aspects of life that we couldn't get to. It's encouraging. I could just sit and talk with, with pastors from all over, not just overseas. Like I think sometimes we glamorize foreign missions and realize that there are people in, in Austin or, or Colleen doing gospel ministry that can encourage us by what they see God doing. It's encouraging to be devoted to the gospel filled with knowledge because then it's seen in your life as you're a person on mission. But we also need to remind ourselves, if we, if we look at verse 15, that, that people always need a teacher, right? But on some points, I've written you very boldly, which very boldly, if you don't understand what Paul's meaning, read verses, or read chapters like six through nine. He's very bold, really the whole thing, one and two. Right? And when he's calling out, he's very bold. Why? By way of reminder. He's teaching them to remember their identity in Christ. And so we have to realize that we always need a teacher, even though they could teach one another. Remember, they're filled with goodness and all knowledge so that they can instruct one another. They still needed reminders of the gospel because we tend to forget, especially when we're able to teach others, that we forget that we need to be taught as well. People need to be taught. And that's not always in a, in a sense of authority and someone under that authority. That's also in community and discipleship that happens horizontally within small groups and just community that we have. We instruct one another. We call one another. We say, this is what Christ is doing in my life. And then there's this mutual uplifting. But then we also at times may have to boldly remind people of who they are in Christ and to come back and rebuke. Ultimately, we also realize that if we want to experience the grace of God, we have to be people on mission. If you look at verse 16, it says to be, this is Paul talking about 
because of the grace given to me by God, what? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified in Christ Jesus, have reason to be proud of my work. And what we see in there is that Paul has a reason to be proud in Christ Jesus because of what's happened in his ministry, because through his mission, he has experienced the grace of God. Grace is given through mission. Because what we have to understand is that, that we only then, if we're on mission, devoted to the gospel, it's really hard to boast in ourselves because we're put out of our comfort zone. We're going to people that might not necessarily agree with or are open to hearing that message. And so then we have to realize that it's a grace of God that we are safe and secure while doing that in Him because we boast in Christ. And so you have to ask yourself, if you're not feeling like you experience God's grace in your life, there's a good chance that you're relying on yourself and not on Him. Or to say it the other way, that if you rely on yourself, you're never going to feel the reality of the everyday grace of God in your life. Because you rely on yourself and you never acknowledge that when things go good, who gets the credit? Is it God's grace in your life propelling you forward? Or is it, you know what, I studied hard, I did these things, I achieved this, and now I'm getting rewarded? Because if we're truly gospel Christians, then we realize that everything that we have is the grace of God. And so if we're going to rely on ourselves, then we miss that aspect because we think it's us. And then we don't even experience the grace of God in suffering because then we just think it's his fault. But if we truly rely on him to sustain us, then we realize that everything that we have been given is an act of grace of God because we were sinners from birth, yet a righteous, holy God sent his son to die for us. And there's not a better depiction of grace. So we have to realize that to be people on mission and for mission to be accomplished, we have to be people on mission. We have to realize the individual importance of the gospel in our hearts so that we can then be propelled outward. We have to realize that it's people, and what that means is simply living a life of worship. If you want to quote, um, you might have heard um, John Piper's famous quote about that, that mission exists because worship doesn't. But the whole point of mission is to create worship. You preach the gospel, people are saved. What is the response? It's worship. And so if we're going to be people on mission, we're going to be people that live a life of worship because what Christ has done, and that reminds us of the gospel, and that just starts this cycle that we're constantly being redevoted to the gospel as we learn and increase in knowledge and we're taught, and then we're sent out again, and that just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper as we continue to be on mission through a life of worship because what God has done. But the problem is we tend to break down. And so not only is mission contingent on the people that's doing it, it's also fueled by the power of God. And if you look at that as we keep going through this, that we you have to ask yourselves, how is God's power best demonstrated in a world that is against him? Right, think, think about that. How, if, if, if you could see God's power displayed, what is the best way that God could display his power to a culture and to a world that is actively rebelling against him? Most people, most people would say that it's in the punishment of the unjust and wicked, right? That if he's a holy, righteous God, his power's on display in 
punishing those who deserve to be punished, right? We have this sense of right and wrong ingrained in us, and, and those who are wrong, those who are outside, should be punished, right? And, and a lot of us default that way. You might go, not go to the extreme and think that he's just going like, to like pull out the, the Lot's wife and turn him into a pillar of salt and all this. The ground's not going to swallow him up, but you want something to happen, right? That God's power is, look at this. It's unjust, punish. But in reality, I want to realize that if we think that God's power is best displayed on wicked and unjust people, it's actually a message that's contrary to the gospel. Because if we think about it, his power is better displayed by saving those who don't deserve it. Right? That, that, that he could easily, justly punish people and powerful, yes, but how much more powerful or how much more power is on display when God saves those who don't deserve it? Because we don't understand that. And what we have to realize is that's exactly what Paul is saying. That Paul is saying that the power of God is at work in mission, fueling mission, because we see God's saving actions when people don't deserve it. Look down of, of verse 18. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Okay, and so then we have to remind ourselves, who's Paul speaking to? He's speaking to the Church of Rome. That's a collection of Jewish and, and, and Gentile Christians. And the Gentiles, they're what? Those were the people that were outside of God's promise, right? That, that God didn't promise. He, they weren't Israelites. And so to, for Paul to say that Christ has brought the Gentiles into obedience, he saved them. He's speaking to these Jewish Christians saying, look at what's happened. That God's power's on display by saving those who were outside that you would have considered outside, not worthy of God, yet he has brought them to obedience. And so God's power is always seen as it's felt, right? It's seen in the word of the people whom he changes. Why? Because how does the Gentiles' obedience, how is it displayed? It's by word and deed, right? And so God's power is seen through the word. So when we encounter or experience God's power, it changes the way we speak, and that's not saying that, that some words are bad and some words aren't. It changes the, the, the fluency in which we speak about. That what is at the tip of our heart that our tongue is speaking changes when we experience God's power because we're reminded by the gospel that he has saved us and he is powerful to do so. But it's also seen in our deeds. So not only when we experience powers, our words change, but when we experience God's power, our lives are changed. All right, that's what Paul said that, that in Christ, the, the old is gone, the new has come. That when we experience God's power, it changes our life. And then what happens is you see people who are truly transformed by the gospel start to rearrange or redistribute their time, their energy, their resources. They're spending, and all of a sudden your whole life changes as you start to realize who God is because you've experienced his power. And so... You, you might question what you're buying. Like, do I need this or can I help someone else? And it just changes. It's crazy to change. And we have people in here that I've had conversations with that have had extra money, that have had changes in their lives. And so they're looking to use their resources for other people. And that doesn't happen apart from God's power transforming their life. Because we want ours, right? Money, that's, you want that. Especially now if you actually get cash. Like I get excited when I get cash because you never see money anymore, right? 
It's on a screen. It's numbers. But when you get cash, you're like, man, I got a $50 bill. What can I use this on? Right? Where can I go with this? You know? Like, I'm going to Walmart. You can get some stuff. Right? Every time you go to Walmart, we did it yesterday. We had to go get one thing, and we ended up with a basket full of stuff. Right? You just can't get out of there. But, but that's what we see. But in God's transforming power, we start to see our resources for other people. And we're transformed, not because of our desires to just do it, because God's power changes us as we experience it. And it's also then seen in signs and wonders. Look at verse 19. It says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And there's a lot of people that verses like that make uncomfortable because like, what are signs and wonders? And, and, and what, instead of, of trying to define what are signs and wonders, ask yourself, do you actually believe that the Holy Spirit has power to move among us now? Because that's what, that's what verse 19 is saying. That's what Paul's saying, that all of these happens, the words and deeds, because of the Gentiles' obedience and the power and the signs and wonders, all accomplished through God's power moving through people's lives on mission to bring glory to his name. So do you actually believe that the Spirit of God can move? Have you experienced that? That's what propels you on mission. Because you realize that God's power is a real and present force in your life. But we also understand that God's power energizes, right? If, if you keep reading, we see that Paul in verse 20 says, I thus make it my ambition. Okay? And so he's been ministering to these people all through this region. He's going and planting churches establishing leadership, and he's saying that my mission then, because I've experienced God's power in bringing the Gentiles to obedience through words and deeds and seeing the Spirit powerfully work in signs and wonders, my ambition is to preach the gospel. He's continually energized by the power of God in his life. But sadly, so many times, we ourselves are guilty of saying that we have been changed by the power of God and nothing happens as a result. Our lives continue the same thing. We think that mission is for someone else. And we just sit here complacent thinking, I'll get mine and they can have theirs. And that's not a gospel outwork. That's the American dream. That's not Christianity. That's not gospel. We have to be energized by the power of God and make it our ambition to preach the gospel and not only just preach the gospel to those around us, preach us to those who haven't heard it, right? This is where's Paul saying his ambitions to preach? Not where Christ has already been named, right? So he's going to other people who haven't heard Christ to preach the gospel. And just so we don't confuse that, that doesn't mean you have to go across the world. It might mean you have to go across the street. Because there's people in our neighborhood who haven't heard the gospel, and, and if they haven't heard the gospel, they probably have a bad picture of Christianity because we've made it a cultural thing, not a devoted on Christ's power in saving us. And so we have to realize that we're going to have to step out. And then we as a church believe that the best way to reach those who are unreached to preach the gospel is to plant churches. Right? We plant churches to reach people who aren't being reached. And there's a lot of people who would say that church planting is not, worth, and not a worthy cause, but if we didn't need more churches, everyone would be in one, 
right? And so we plant churches that preach the gospel because of the power of God that we've experienced ourselves, and it propels us to be people on mission. So do you, do you long to see God save people? Because if you truly want people to be saved from their act of rebellion, because you understand the penalty of that, that, that sin and the effect that it's going to have, that propels you to live a powerfully changed life fueled by the Spirit of God in you. So do you long to see people, God save people? If you do, that's going to take you out of your comfort zone. And you're not going to know what to say at times, and you're going to feel awkward. But all you have to do is be a person that's been transformed by God and explain what God is teaching you as you seek Him daily. And then the power of God works. But we also realize then that not only is it the mission fueled by the people of God and the power of God, but it's also fueled by provision, right? If you keep going, you have to ask yourself, should Paul have stopped, right? Because what? He says that everything's happened. He's finished where he's at. The, the region that he's been preaching, there's no one else he, he sees. There's no other advantageous place to go preach the gospel because he's already accomplished his mission in that area. And so many times we think the same thing and think, well, maybe he should have just quit. He's accomplished it. Great job. Now just retire and live a peaceful life, right? But that's not what he does, right? He's fueled, he's energized by the power of God. He has to see it preached other places. And so we have to then realize that this is kind of the, the ulterior motive is, is how I've seen it called in Paul's letter, right? He's getting them ready to provide for him, right? Have you, did you notice that in, in verses 22 and on, right? This is the reason I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because I have no longer any room to work. I can't do anything since I've longed for many years to come. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Right? So he's saying, wait a second. The mission of God goes out by his people, by me, going to unreached people groups. And by the way, when I come through, I'm going to hang out with you for a while, and then you're going to send me with money. That's what he's saying. He's like, get ready because you're sending me to Spain. Like As much as I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Spain. I want to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard, and you're going to help me. And we think, what? And so we have to realize that first, the provision is for God's people, right? We, we provide for God's people. That's what Paul's saying. Provide for me. I'm going to come through. And you also got to remember that Paul worked. Paul worked. He just come, didn't come and say, give me all your money so I can go out. Paul worked, and he worked hard so that he could preach. But Paul is asking for provision for himself to go to Spain. He's saying the mission of God can't continue unless you provide for me as I'm here with you and then move further on. We also have to realize that Paul gives us a glimpse that the provision is not only for people, but it's for churches. Right? It's for churches. Look at verses 25 and 26. At present, so here's what I'm doing now. However, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And so there's a picture of churches providing for churches, right? He's taking money that's been raised by a church for a church. Because if you read in Acts, the money just wasn't given to the poor. It was distributed through the church as everyone had need. So he's taking money 
from churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and he's given it to the church in Jerusalem. That's the whole point of why he's going there. He's taking the money that they raised and given to them. So a provision is for churches, for people, but our provisions are always given with joy. Right? Look at verse 27, and I pray that this would describe us as a church. For they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. Right? There's, a, there's a challenging, if you ever wondered if we're supposed to give back, Paul says yes, because they owed this to the church in Jerusalem. Why? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be a service to them in material blessings. So Paul's saying that, that since Jerusalem, the church there, sent me out, and then they were saved by that, they not only gave it in joy, but they owe it to give back and to help support them as well. They were pleased to give it. But then we also have to remind ourselves that our provision to other churches is given because we have received provision as well. And I love that we can sit here and that I can stand here and tell you that while we're giving to support other churches, it's because other churches have supported us. We have churches that have supported us in huge ways financially. I think one of the main partners that we have is going to end up after this year and that funding's done, giving us forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And they've yet to tell us what to do with it. They just support us. And that's why I'm so excited that we're finally at a place to now we can joyfully support other churches. And that's why I keep talking to you about the, the guys at, at Restoration Church in Philadelphia that we're getting to support financially. Because we have been supported because we have received we joyfully give it to them and that's why i also was talking to you about about robin in in the uk that's planting in the peak district there that we've been given resources so we joyfully want to give it to them so that they can bless others around and then in turn pass that on because provision is given with joy and because we received it if we have benefited from the provision of other churches, we too should then bless others by the provision from us. But that also means you have to send people at the same time because we can get in a habit of just sending money and not building relationships. And so Paul's saying, you're going to support me. I'm going to come here, but what? But I'll be with you for a while. He's going he's gonna to be there. He's going to work with them. He's going to labor with them. And then eventually, when the time was right, he was going to go on. Now, we know that that didn't happen through Paul because we know that his prayer to go to Rome was answered because he was in prison and he was sent there. And so he didn't get to go further. There's some people that might argue that maybe he did and kind of a house arrest type thing. But, but just look, he didn't get to accomplish that. But did the church? Yes. And so we have to send people to work. It reminds me of, of Christ in Matthew 19 saying, what, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because so many of us see a harvest, yet we don't see ourselves as the workers. We see ourselves as the, as the bank. We're going to send provision, that's good. No, we have to send people. And so as we're working with these other churches that we want to support, we're thinking of ways where we can build relationships, where we can send people short-term to them to help minister alongside them both to Philadelphia, both to the UK. And what that means is that some of us who are going to go, you're going to have to put plans aside if you really want to go. We need more people that are willing to step up. We need men that feel called to lead so that eventually we could send a planter out ourselves. How amazing would that be? 
that, that we from our body here could grow up someone, train them, send them out, see the provision, because that's what people have done with us. The mission of the church can only be accomplished by God's people providing the resources for God's mission. And that means people and that means provision as far as financial and resources. But then what we have to understand is finally as we finish today is that when we look at the end of this passage, we realize the mission of the church is also fueled by prayer. If you look at verse 30 and on, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive with me in your prayers. I love the way, it might say something different in yours. I didn't look at another translation on verse 30, but I love the way the ESV says that strive with you in prayer. Right? That your prayer is, is practicing partnerships to accomplish the mission of God. God's people must pray because that fuels the mission as people go and provisions are sent. We strive together. And then Paul was specific, right? He said what? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Jesus. He's praying for protection. And if, if you read his story, he needed it, right? And if you read his story, some of you might be thinking, well, that prayer wasn't answered, but actually it was. How many times did people leave because they thought he was dead, and the next thing you know, he's in the next town preaching the gospel? Right? That's deliverance from them. That's what I would consider deliverance, but he's praying specifically. And so we should ask those, and we're going to, and a lot of this is to, to let you know that eventually through our, our website and some other stuff, we're going to have the churches that we partner, the pastors there. We're gonna, you're going to be able to see them, look at their families, hear some description about them, and then how can you pray for them? Because we want to be purposeful in praying specifically for what they need as a means to fuel our mission. He prayed that they would accept the unity, right? That my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. The translation of that is maybe that the Jewish people in Jerusalem would accept the Gentile offering because they easily could have said they're different than us. They're, they're not the same. They weren't chosen by God. They're not Jewish. So we're not going to accept that because they can't. But so he's praying. He, he's saying, pray that the unity is accepted. Praying that although we have convictionally different beliefs on certain aspects of the gospel, although we're not outside of that, that that would be received. And then pray that opportunities would be realized and happen, right? So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy. He's saying, by God's will, let me be there. That prayer was answered as well, right? He didn't have to pay for his trip, right? And the government paid for it because he's in prison, right? You ever thought about that? If Paul didn't have to worry about getting there, they took him. Right? And so we have to realize that our people should pray for those going on mission, but our prayer should always be the beginning of our support, not the end of our support. Right? That our, our prayers fuel the mission as we then provide resources and people through the power of God to accomplish the mission, which is to bring glory to his name. And so as we look at our lives here, individually and corporately as a body, we have to realize that we must be people through the power of God that provide and pray that our mission to see the gospel integrated into life through mission and with worship is accomplished in every relationship that we have individually and corporately so that 
glory would be given to God and that his kingdom would be expanded because of the gospel that salvation is possible not by our effort, but because Christ came, died, and rose again on our behalf when we were still in active rebellion. And when we do that, we find ourselves pushed forward by God's power through his gospel, then everything will feel complete and satisfied. We won't be longing anything because we'll be able to say, look what God has done, and then ask ourselves, where is he going now so that we can partner with him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that that when we are weak, you're strong. God, I thank you that when so often we find ourselves talking about mission, God, I just pray that through your spirit you would prompt us to not talk about mission, but to go out on mission. God, to be a beacon of light in a world that's shrouded in darkness. God, that your people would be filled by your power to provide for the mission and to prayerfully support those who are working to expand your kingdom in areas and avenues and cities and countries that we could not reach ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.